Hi, everybody. Uh, to the latest edition of our Med Blog uh, with Cicely from uh, St. Mary's Health and Social Care Academy, Cicely Aylesbury, and me, Dan Roper, who's chair of Hull CCG. And today we are joined by Caitlin Wilkins from the Academy, who Cicely knows very well indeed. I've never met her, but I'm looking forward to hearing from her and her story and her questions. And also Kate, Kate York from Humber Teaching Answers Foundation Trust, who is a psychologist of the Trust. And so, as you can see, that will be the subject of our discussion today and I'm really looking forward to it. How are you Cicely today anyway? Oh yeah very well thanks Dan for asking. Genuinely looking forward to this because it's been in the diary for quite some time Um, and actually kicks off a few podcasts to come which are all centered around trying to be able to look at mental health as a profession in the local area and how we can support our local people here so a really great start. Yeah we need it my goodness I'm sure as Kate will tell us there's been the mental health needs of our population particularly young people have uh, really really um ex- well not exploded is a funny term but you know what i mean it's really become critical during lockdown and curve the last couple of years it's it's something that is on our all our minds and is a worry to us in the health and social care profession so i'm sure we'll sort of get into that so well i mean it's come up previously in a lot of our other podcasts so it's definitely a topic to be able to keep an eye on and to be able to see what we can do to best promote it in the local community so caitlin did you want to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself hi i'm caitlin i'm currently a year 13 student at st mary's academy and i'm looking to do psychology at york st john in september Ooh, thanks Caitlin. Oh yeah, it's okay. It's the tech side of things, like we said before. Um, And we've got Kate joining us. Kate, did you want to introduce yourself? Thank you. Hi, I'm Dr. Kate York. I'm the Associate Director of Psychology at Humber Teaching NHS Foundation Trust, which is a bit of a mouthful, but our local uh, NHS trust. Amazing. Well, thanks so much for joining us. Caitlin, did you want to start us off today? Yeah, um, my first question today is, why did you choose to be in the healthcare sector? Well, I don't think many people go into this as a get rich quick scheme. I think probably um, health and especially national health service uh, chooses you. So I, I guess a little bit vocational. When I look back, I think I was always interested in health and mental health. And um, in terms of early influences, I think possibly it was because my gran was in hospital an awful lot and I was uh, very close to her. So I did spend a lot of my childhood around hospitals uh, and I think that sparked an early interest. I, I think also in terms of working for statutory agencies or the government, that's been a thing in my family. So most of my family and, and friends now work in government agencies. So there's been a kind of a, a shared language and a common understanding of that type of work. So possibly that as well. Yeah, I think there would be two key influences to date. Good influences. I think we've spoken about this previously a lot that like, in some senses, it's a profession that almost chooses you. Do you know what I mean? It, it really, you're drawn to it quite early on that you want to go out and that you want to be able to go and help people and really make a difference in all of their lives. Yeah, I think as pretty, well, sorry. Um, sorry, what I was um, watching on the television probably wasn't the usual watching of 
of a 15, 16 year old. So just before I started my A-levels, I guess I was watching quite a lot of documentaries about um, matters related to health and mental health. And we only had four channels in those days. So there wasn't the choice that there is now to be um, browsing Netflix and so on. So maybe it was a bit of a lack of choice, but I did find myself looking at things that were related to health and particularly mental health as well. We used to dream of having four channels when I was in charge. <laughs> I think it's interesting you talking about in a way the sort of that public service ethos as well Kate is that you sort of grew up with it didn't you from what you were saying when government agency public service that type of thing, that that sort of feeling of being driven and motivated by other things and it was interesting that you, you presaged it at the beginning by saying well you don't go into because you you know you want to earn a fortune or whatever but mm -hmm. so, no that's absolutely true but the level of satisfaction and the letter the, le the level of fulfillment is very deep isn't it the and more so than through financial gain in a way. I mean, I'm sure you've felt that through your career. Yeah, I certainly have. And um, I always say, although it's a very, very difficult time, it is a privilege to um, sit with families who are having difficulties with loved ones or in, in some cases, unfortunately, have lost loved ones and to be able to help in situations such as I do a lot of investigations. So people going to coroner's court and being able to be a part of that and to help to tell that person's story, I feel is, is a huge privilege. I, you could never say you enjoyed it, but that level of engagement with people is it is really, really tricky, but um, it is a, a, an honour to do that often. Really beautifully put, thank you. Caitlin? I was wondering why do you like working in Hull? Hmm, well, uh, this is going to sound as if I fell into everything, but I think Hull kind of, um, it traps you. Uh, you come along and um, I think possibly from coming from a, a, a bigger city, not a hugely bigger city, but coming from Leicester, I, I don't know what my initial image of Hull was, but I didn't expect it to be as interesting or as engaging as it is. And um, once I'd been here for six years, because the course that I studied at university was six years long, I was quite well established. And I really like the kind of indie culture of Hull. There's always something a bit different to find uh, if you look for it. And it, that might be to do with food or entertainment, music, all sorts of things, really. And um, being from Leicester, I was as far away from the sea as you could possibly be. <laughs> so coming to Hull, that put me a lot closer to the sea. And uh, that's something I absolutely love. Probably go there every weekend, every other weekend with my dog. And I wouldn't go back to being away from away from that. I also married and subsequently divorced in Hull. And so <laughs> that kind of connected me to Hull for a longer time with family and my current partner has family very strongly embedded in Hull who've um, never been allowed to leave because of that Hull factor so I think did you I'm train in Hull Kate did you go yeah. to Hull how, yeah. was, how did you find that how, what was the course like did he did you enjoy it or I mean I'm thinking so from Caitlin's point transitioning from school into doing psychology as an undergraduate. What was that like for you? How would you describe it? Mm. Well, the whole course is quite unusual or unique in terms of clinical psychology because it's the only one in the country now where you go straight through from undergraduate to postgraduate. Most people now have a gap in between and become an assistant psychologist for a short time at least. And um, so, um, it, yeah, it, I, I enjoyed it a lot. We went on um, a number of different placements throughout the course after 
the undergrad so it was, there's a huge variety in clinical psychology training and I thoroughly enjoyed my time but um, we are a young cohort because well at the time there weren't many mature students on the undergrad so consequently most of us went through from 18 and were qualified at 24 mm. which in hindsight is a very young age to mm. be qualified clinical psychologist and I can remember um, when I was in my training I was 22 and I worked with a lady who was 88 so she was four times my age and we often reflected on that and what that meant but um, it's not necessarily a bad thing but I, I do think it's a unique factor yeah. of that of that oh, course. That's interesting. Yeah. As a result of your current role now have you mentored a lot of students through to be able to train locally as well? Yeah. I mean, this is something I'm really interested and invested in. I've always spent time with um, people from sixth form, assistant psychologists, undergrads, and I can remember how difficult it was to navigate, thinking what you wanted to do and making contacts and establishing networks and having people take you seriously. And also the painful anxiety that I felt at that time really uh, about approaching people and developing my career. So I feel like it was yesterday as well. Mm. Um, I turned 50 in a few weeks time, but I still feel like 15. So um, I do fully understand, you know, why people need to make contacts. And I be around young people because I think it keeps you younger and relevant yourself <laughs> and understand <laughs> what's going on in the world so uh, I kind of kind of use them in that way to keep me young but <laughs> also hopefully give something uh, useful at the same time. That's amazing. Um, with you saying that you trained in Hull and you, I know people say that Hull's sort of like you trapped here um, like you mentioned previously from a business side from like a psychology side career side like a point of view how is it working in Hull with all the different people people from different walks of life. Is it comparable to other cities? Is it something that you'd recommend working? I think um, Hull has certainly seen an increase in the diversity since I've been here over the last 30 years and that is something I would certainly welcome and it's something we think about a lot more in training now. So uh, we recently employed an equality and diversity lead who um, actually graduated our course so that's a great link and it yeah it is a very diverse city i think it always has been but we we talk about it more now and we embrace it more than we ever have i think the other point for me as well caitlin is that we've uh, sicily and i've talked a lot about this with other and other uh, podcasts that in health and social care there isn't really an advantage in working in a really big city whether it be london manchester birmingham or whatever there aren't really any advantages and in some ways it can be more difficult working in those it's not like if you say in business or advertising or law or, or finance or whatever it is it's not like that in health and social care your career can be just as fulfilling and successful and, and developed in a place like Hull as it could be anywhere. And I'm not just saying that because I'm Hull born and bred. The other aspect of that is that if you look at health and social care, particularly from a psychology point of view, understanding people in the context of where they live is really, really important. And if you're from Hull and you live in Hull, you have, you do, you know, you, you can almost have a, an understanding of what people's lives are like 
which gives you that degree of maybe empathy or insight, which is really valuable. Looking after people who who appreciate that. Re- so don't worry about that aspect. You does it? I think Kate would agree. There's enough work to go around for everybody, particularly in yeah. a place like this. There certainly is, and also um, I did a, a mini conference for our group last week, and we looked at the statistics of what's around nationally for jobs, and it's very similar for psychology here than it is in the rest of the country. So in terms of different bandings and the career structure, um, I really did caution people to make sure they don't think the grass is greener um, because it may not be. That sounds a bit negative, but we have at least as many opportunities here as many other local big cities and national big cities. So I would agree with you on that, Dan. Yeah, and in some ways as well, Caitlin, it's like, where where is the, you can look at it one way, so where are the opportunities? And the other side of that coin is where is the need? And the need is where the opportunities are. If the, yeah. if the need is greatest, the opportunities are greatest. That's that's what yeah. I would think. So I'm sure you you probably worked all that out for, you, for yourself anyway. So what do you like most about your job then? I think probably what I like most about the job is variety. Uh, there's just so much scope to do so many different things within psychology and within clinical psychology. After I'd trained as a clinical psychologist, I also trained as a forensic psychologist to uh, work with offenders. And um, that was absolutely fascinating part of my career and something that I still do now working in uh, public protection. So um, that's something I really enjoy. But also there's clinical work within psychology, but strategic work as well. So being able to influence at a wider level by helping to set strategy. And in my role now in a leadership position, I feel I can have a broader influence than simply one-to-one, although I still really enjoy the one-to-one work when I do it. I mean, I said earlier about developing others, and that's really important, the link with the university and having the trainee clinical psychology course so closely aligned to us has been good. And colleagues and teams working in teams has been great as well. I mean, there aren't too many happy days sometimes because we are working with distress. But however, as a team, you can have a really good bond and a really good laugh at work. So uh, that's been something I've always enjoyed. And it's something I've really missed throughout the pandemic because where we worked is actually um, now not going to be uh, coming back. So we'll be staying at home for the foreseeable future. Really? Yeah, that, that's a bit of a bit of a shame, really. Has there been any other big impacts that the pandemic has had on your job? Um, Gosh, it's almost, it, we're at that stage, aren't we, where we're still reflecting on it, mm. I think. Uh, last week we were talking about that when we met together as a group. It's had almost an unquantifiable impact, I would say. It's changed my working life completely and it's changed the way we deliver services forever, I think. And we do have now what we call a blended approach, which is good for us because we've learned that we can do things much more easily than we thought technologically. So we can link with people all over the world, which is fantastic. And for some service users, meeting like this is something they really embrace but um, we've also tried to make sure that we go back to what we saw as normal for people who are going to get more from that so resuming face-to-face services but um, in terms of staff well-being it's been very very difficult and mm, it's imagine, we've, yeah. yeah we've needed to put a lot of things in place to enhance and help with staff well-being throughout the time because the risk of burnout has been higher than ever yeah it's, it's really interesting 
interesting, Kevin, because obviously in medicine as well, in in general practice and other forms of medicine, we've gone to um, much more of a sort of virtual way of consulting. Obviously, face-to-face consultations have come back as restrictions have lifted, but there was a very quick move to, to video consulting and, and telephone consulting or whatever. And what we found in, in general practice in medicine was that it reduced the opportunity to pick things up, what we call opportunistically. You'll hear this term when you do psychology or whatever, which is things that people don't bring to your attention, but you notice. So if, so if a patient comes to see you and they've got signs of something, they're not talking to you about it, but you might pick up on it. And one of those things might be some signs in the psychology thing of, of self-harm, let's say. And yeah. you might not see it on a video call, but you'd see it in a consultation and you would, you would then, it would lead to a conversation around that. So it has been quite challenging to pick that sort of thing up as well. And I think from what Kate says, in, in, if you're in a job where you yourself need quite a bit of support because it's challenging and, and the, it can be quite difficult, meeting with people face to face is really, really important. It, and you know, you, you would miss that, Kate, I would imagine, wouldn't you, in your teams and, and other, your in your role as a mentor it, you you would pick up things as well face to face that you wouldn't pick up on a call definitely and in terms of environment so just working with offenders you know you pick up things in the environment when you visit and you see things that uh, potentially people don't want you to see mm. um, and I think as well we have a big agenda for thinking wider so thinking family when you go into somebody's um, house and thinking about what's going on in the rest of their family and their system so if you don't go into to their system you don't see some of the um, softer information that uh, that is around to be picked up on definitely. I think that was one of the hard things for students during the pandemic as well learning mm. their teams. Um, through my health and social coursework I've realised how much non-verbal indications there are when it comes to mental health and support and things and that's something that we've really missed during the pandemic. Sure you <laughs> well I mean it's true Caitlin I think like we've done the best that we can we've yeah. adapted as quickly as we can to be able to make sure that you guys are learning as best as you as best as you could in those circumstances while trying to keep you guys safe as well and trying to be able to keep us um, as the staff safe but I think like Kate mentioned moving to remote and virtual learning meant you don't have those kinds of face-to-face staff meetings so to try and and be there to be able to help support your teams there had to adapt and had to change you had to do things differently but equally trying to support you guys as students and trying to be able to check in on you and and things that we might notice in the classroom on a regular basis and when we're seeing you um, that we might not be able to do in a virtual learning environment and so a lot of things had to be able to change strategically um, in order to be able to make sure that everybody was doing the best that they can and I think that's obviously kind of still going in many senses um, that we're able to to learn from all of that and that that's continually evolving at this point in time. Yeah absolutely I think we've spoken about it as well Cicely and if you're you know if you're a bit older you've probably been able to adapt to it a bit more but I think in your, your stage Caitlin where you're in year 12 of sort of year 13 and you spent a whole year or more than a year either at home in your bedroom not at school or whatever. these are a pivotal time you know uh, sort of um, pivot points in your life when you leave school or in your sixth form and that sort of thing and those memories you take with you for the rest of your life and if it's you've had a year in your bedroom you've got to sort of make up for it haven't you it's really yeah. I mean I, d- I don't think any of us underestimate how difficult it's been for young people much much more so than the rest of us, I think. Yeah, I think the pandemic would have influenced a lot of students to then look towards the health sector to help 
okay. in the future to give back. Um, apart from what you've mentioned with your grandma, is there any other influences that you felt helped make you choose this career path? Yeah, I mean, probably um, staying with family initially. Uh, my dad, he was always really encouraging of me. And as I said before, he worked for like government services. He worked for the local council. So he knew some of the headaches that were around in uh, working for statutory agencies. And yeah, I feel like I should give a really heavy political answer to this, but um, I, I, I don't necessarily have one. Uh, I think different leaders that I've experienced throughout my career have influenced me and that is both in a positive and negative way because when you're led you see how you would like to be led and how you would not like to be led and then hopefully you apply that to your own leadership so I've had some really positive and negative experiences with different leaders and I think as well mentors different people within and outside of the organization so I've actually looked around for mentorship outside of the organization in the past because people can then bring a different perspective so um, there was mentorship on offer quite a few years ago now and we got some profiles of people to pick from so I picked from someone who sounded quite um, austere and scary and had had lots of senior jobs that I aspired to and I thought well she'll make me pull my socks up but when I met her she was really just very gentle and lovely so um, it, of course you know we, we developed a really positive mentorship relationship because of that but it was quite different and to how I expected and um, she just helped me to think a little more laterally and um, think I suppose as we call it outside the box a bit of a buzz phrase but think about different directions I've had some formal mentors but some informal mentors and and also my best friend, she's a psychologist as well. And we kind of grew up together as psychologists. She helps me to have that reality check, but also fully, fully understands you know, where I'm at with how the profession is and, and so on. So different people at different times, I would say. Speaking about the profession as it is, given all the forensic side, clinical behaviourists, what do you think is the most pressing issue at the minute in the healthcare sector? I think possibly groups who we don't immediately think about. So um, this is a sweeping generalisation, but I think in layman's terms, men perhaps are not as forthcoming about their feelings as people who they can keep things in to themselves so from that we know statistically that men have a high rate of suicide so I'm interested in some of the charitable endeavours that we have locally for helping men to come forward and speak about their thoughts and feelings so I've got a link with a particular charity Andy's Man Club and they've come to oh, speak right. to yeah, us yeah, yeah. locally that he came wrote... and spoke to us as well ah great so, yeah, um, we were doing a mental health uh, I guess set of seminars for our sixth form students and he came to be able to speak with them as well which was brilliant to be able to see and, and I think his personal story attached to that charity was absolutely brilliant and so inspiring to be able to help encourage people to talk out sure and, and they're very much more inclusive now there's also a linked women's club so anybody can go to any club really now but it's just about raising mental health awareness uh, due to a young man who sadly took his own life and it, it developed from the family uh, wanting to do something positive out of that situation but it's national and it, it's massive mm -hmm. now so mm -hmm. that that's excellent 
And um, equally, there were other local groups started. Uh, so there was a lady called Sam Barlow who started. Oh, Sam works for us. Yeah. Friends, and and she's very influential locally in terms of helping with mental health, and she's got all sorts of walking and running groups on the go, and groups for specific issues such as bereavement. Um, recently that's been added in coming along and having uh, walks to talk about bereavement then things that are statistically pressing like dementia there's a lot more dementia uh, now or a lot more recognized dementia perhaps diagnosed dementia and uh, again in my family then my dad now has dementia so also a young friend of mine has early onset dementia so this is quite pressing in my personal life but it's a massive national agenda as as well and um staff well-being is another one i think that's a huge pressing issue because we are going to lose people and as as much as people are joining the health service because of the pandemic people are also leaving because of the pandemic so there are a few things that immediately come to mind Caitlin if I could pick up on that that's a really interesting question and I think Kate has given a fantastic answer in a way about individual in a way or psychological problems in affecting individuals what I'm really interested in is the, is the social psychology of things as well in uh, you know the, the psychology of large groups of people how they're behaving because of the pandemic has produced a huge shift in the way large groups of people behave and there's a whole rich area for study for that and for working in that sort of environment and about so one of the challenges I think facing social psychology is the normalization of abnormal behavior and that's got really profound implications for society and the, I, I could name some you know things that you know like being not being well I'll say it out loud lying I mean we've got a problem with truth and facts and that type of thing and so if that becomes institutionalized that it's okay not to tell the truth then as a society we've got a massive psychological problem and that's just one of them so I think Kate's absolutely right about those individual challenges but there are some really big psychological challenges that face all of us as a population as, as we move forward I think so and that, that'll be really interesting to see how that sort of pans out I think picking up on that it's like we've all had this quote unquote shared experience having lived through the pandemic. Caitlin on our side having lived through it from an educational standpoint, yourselves, Kate and Dan, just in terms of living through it from a health and social care side of it and from the NHS perspective. Um, but equally that our own individual experiences have been so different. They've been so individualized. And to try and find that sense of commonality, that sense of empathy amongst that shared experience mm. can still be quite challenging. And it's driven people apart. I mean, the thing about yeah. COVID is, and like other things that happened before is, people have now become sort of differentiated by whether they believe one side of it or the other and that's really very divisive isn't it i think i just wanted to i think what kate's given a really fantastic sort of example of is this as a growth or a journey through your career I mean, it's not just been one of professional change and development as, as you, you've spoke very sort of eloquently how you've almost, if you're in a career like health and social care, psychology or medicine, whatever, you actually grow and develop much deeper as a person, don't you? Because of the experiences that you have and the help that you give other people, you're really on a personal growth journey. Would that be fair to say, Kate, would you say? Yeah, and I would say start early attending to that because um, <laughs> I think a lot of people used to come into this career and absorb all the stresses and anxieties of others and not attend to them 
themselves. And so um, there was a lot of burnout, but we didn't have a name for it. And uh, we didn't attend to our own mental health issues anywhere near as well as we do now. So um, I left it till I was probably 40 to go into my own personal therapy. And I wish I'd done that a lot earlier. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right. It is, a, it is a journey. And I think we're quite thoughtful and reflective people, which can be a curse and a blessing because sometimes mm -hmm. I just wish I could switch my thinker off. Definitely. <laughs> absolutely. I think we've entered into professions where we give a lot of ourselves to the people that are in front of us because we care for them and we want what's best for them. But we have to be able to take that step back and also recognize where we have to draw that line to be able to keep that same sense of positive self um, and to be able to do a bit of self-care in the mix of that because you, you, you can burn out and you, you can um, give too much and not have anything mm. left at the end of the day. I would see it as a bit like a sponge. I think that's a good analogy that you can take so many drips of water into a sponge, but if you don't squeeze it out every now and again, it, it ends up dripping, doesn't it? So I yeah. think, you know, I, was, I would call therapy squeezing out your sponge, really. Make <laughs> <room>. <laughs> that's a brilliant analogy. I love that. Good, yeah. Absolutely. I think we all need to go and squeeze the sponge, sponge out a little bit. Absolutely. <laughs> So if you had to give one piece of advice for anybody based on your experiences, particularly people thinking about joining the healthcare sector, what would it be? Well, I was I was pondering this last week because I was watching some, we watch a lot of videos for learning now, don't we? And so I was watching some for my public protection agenda and um, I switched to YouTube to watch it because it was a better platform for what I was watching. And down the side, you get ideas for other things to watch. And whereas I thought it would be other academic public protection related material, it was actually quite a random set of material uh, in amongst which was um, advice from 100 year old. And so I'm going to borrow from one of them because there was a really wise 100 year old man who started off by saying, if I make a cake and I thought, well, that's pretty impressive that you're still making cakes at 100 to start with. I don't even make cakes now at half that age. But he said, if I make a cake and it fails, it becomes a pudding. And I thought that's a really sound piece of advice because I took that to mean whatever you're doing, really, if it fails, take something from it. So that, I thought that was a really good one. And then he also said, and I'm stealing here, aren't I? But he also said, um, time on reconnaissance is rarely wasted. And I thought, do I know what reconnaissance means? I think it's, it's like a war-based word. It, I think it means finding out, you know, before you go on a mission. And so, that was the same for me, I would say that over time I've done lots of learning and it hasn't always worked out. So I haven't always got the job or passed the course, et cetera, et cetera. But the, the skills that you learn on the way, you can use them and redirect them and generalize them. So I really liked um, his thoughts on adapting and overcoming different situations. But also I think it's, it's good to strive and be always on to the next thing but I would say concentrate on enjoying now. Uh, I, I heard a really, I'm not sure I can get this one exactly as it was said but it, it's a bit of a story that I can't think where I heard it now but a chap was basically saying to his doctor and he was older as well and he said doctor when I was such and such an age I was dying to get married when I was such and such an age I was dying to have children when I was this age I was dying to be at the top of my career when I was this age I was dying to retire and now doctor I'm just dying and it's quite morbid but it was also 
like really a strong message I think to enjoy every day and you know you don't know when it's going to when it's going to come to an abrupt end so um, he was just saying squeeze the best out of all parts of your life I think so yeah I've took a lot of inspiration from older people recently (laughs) (laughs) sounds like doesn't it well we can tally that up to words from the wise and go from there I think is a really good way to be able to surmise that and I think all of those stories are beautiful I am a hundred percent a firm believer of to find the joy in the everyday um, and I hope I exude that in the classroom. Um, I think, Cicely, that's really important. And I used to talk to my patients about this. And if you take pleasure in things that are readily accessible, like a walk or a newspaper or a chat with somebody or that type of thing, then you, these things that make you feel happy are easily accessible. You don't have to go looking for them. You can easily sort of find them. And the other point I'd make, just to pick up on something that Kate said is that particularly in psychology and medicine where one of the things that you're trying to do is to influence people to change their behavior sometimes it takes 10 attempts so don't get disheartened after the ninth because it might be the 10th and you know all the time there is this sort of you'll fail many more times than you'll succeed but you'll never stop trying I think that's the most that's the thing that comes to my mind really. I think that's a very poetic way of putting it and I, I, I agree as well. I think recently we've took things more for granted because during the pandemic we've had I think more accessibility you know quickly with our mobile phones and just making things making ourselves happy at home but now that things are getting back to normal I think it is important just to take a minute and realize what's what's happening like the good things. Yeah absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely little nice little chats with friends nice big walk, breath of fresh air, all of those lovely simple life pleasures that we can take joy in. Go to the beach, Kate, that's what you were saying. Better than going to the beach, is there? Well, I do readily go to the beach, but I think we bit off more than we could chew on Saturday because uh, we had a walk from um, Hornsey to Mappleton and then stopped at the little cafe at Mappleton and the heavens opened, so we walked back in the snow in our faces and it was not pleasant, but um, our dogs I really enjoyed it. She I bet you're still glad you did it though, aren't you? Are they, yeah. You know, yeah. when you got in, you still thought that was really good. Yeah, I still felt good afterward, definitely. <laughs> well, I'd like to thank you both for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you with us um, and to share your insight, Kate, into your own career as well as the importance of mental health. I think we'll all take our golden nugget away as that we need to wring out our personal sponges before they can trip yeah, all the become messy <laughs> um, in all the sense of the metaphor. And Caitlin, thank you so much yeah, for speaking so eloquently and coming up with some great questions along the way we really appreciate it thank you for having this opportunity for me i really appreciate it thanks kelly thanks kate thank you bye see you later sicily